We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a Match Podcast takes a day off analyzing the football as we go a full hour retrospective on Shodran Mustafi. This is the Arsenal Vision Post Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. We are not doing a full hour podcast retrospective of Shodran Mustafi's Arsenal career, but we will probably touch on it ever so briefly as we prepare to analyze uh, Manchester United nil, Arsenal nil. Um, it was an interesting game and one that I am actually looking forward to breaking down, but given that we are recording this on deadline day, uh, it would be remiss of us not to at least uh, give a mensch to the transfer window. So we will touch on the news ever so briefly, uh, mainly because there's nothing super earth-shattering. Um, and then we will break down the United game, and it's all coming thick and fast, he says disgustedly, uh, as we play again tomorrow. Imagine, like, if I, as a podcaster, feel exhausted by the schedule, what must the players feel? But who cares about them? Uh, along with me is Paul. You can find him on Twitter. Pause my pants. Hold pause. Woo-hoo. And Clive, you can find him on Twitter at Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. And Tim, you can find him on Twitter at Stoberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. And mainly, uh, you are here. And because you were here, I want to reiterate that we love you. And it is really the uh, thrill of a lifetime to be able to uh, talk with you, to you, around you, by you, at you, inside your ear holes. Uh, we love you for being here. And, and the community that you... Uh, are a part of is special to us and certainly special to me as we all struggle through these uh, difficult times. It's winter, it's lockdown, you know, we're stuck in our homes or, you know, depending on where you live, maybe it's beautiful and sunny and God bless you for that. But I, I know I have uh, certainly found it trying difficult times and uh, the community around this podcast, including the fine gentleman on with me today, have been an important part of getting through it. So thank you for that. 
with that nonsense out of the way, let's get to something really important. And that is, Paul, <clears throat> what will be your enduring memory of Shodran Mustafi? His contract, uh, going the way of many Arsenal contracts these days, they've smashed the giant cancel contract button on Adu's desk. It looks like he'll go to Schalke. We'll also maybe just gently touch on Willick and, and Maitland-Niles going out on loan. But Shodran Mustafi, um, a titan, a legend. You have a moment that sticks in the mind? Yeah, the what the fuck was that moment? Um, uh, okay, that could describe a few of them. You know that? Yeah, which uh, one? <laughs> slide, yeah, I think it was uh, early in his reign with Arteta, but uh, and he just kind of settled down. Uh, you know, he, we'd recovered from that uh, early Chelsea game and his his uh, his horror moment, uh, the back pass, um, and maybe a game or two later than that. He comes flying in with the tackle from from off screen, so you don't know who it is. You just see this <laughs> well, guy you know come in as a blur. So anyway, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like, I'm like, who the? F-? And the commentator called him somebody else. I can't remember who it was because you couldn't tell. He came in so fast, so low for no great reason, missed, and went out of. As I remember it, this might be a, a little exaggeration. Went out of camera shot on the other side, and you're like, who? The, what the and it was like was that part of the game to... where he he had basically a 30 minutes where his he just totally went berserk and everything he did was inexplicable <laughs> i mean that could describe a lot of games too possibly mm. no i think he had settled down because i remember thinking oh i i uh, i was i was about to start to banging my skodran spurs it was Spurs. Yeah, that's right. Um, and, and am I right, Tim? Is that the one where he had that last 20 minutes or so that was just like unfathomably terrible? Yep. Yeah. yeah. Um, do, yep, do, absolutely. Do, do you have a, it. An, enduring, uh, an enduring memory of, of Shodra Mustafi? One, one, of the, one of the great moments that will stick in the mind? <laughs> like, I, I mean, look, I don't want to get stuck into him. I'm sure he's a nice person, but um, I, I'm really glad he's gone. He's, he's just a... A player, uh, yeah, like a lot of us, I just, I just didn't have a lot of time for him as as a player or time for him being in the team. And you know, because you are, you asked me that, and we all, like we all know we all know what's going on, right? We're not, none of us are going to say, "Oh, that header he scored against Cardiff City in August 2018." That's my standout moment. Like <laughs> we're fishing for the disaster moments, which which says a lot for for me. The image that comes into my mind, um, I could have just as easily said the the League Cup final. Oh, that um, was where, one of mine. Yep, at the halfway yeah, line with Sergio yeah. Aguero. Yeah, yeah, but but mine is is that Palace game, which um, uh, we, just saying that Palace game. You know, mm-hmm. you know which one I mean, where Emery rotates the team, and and actually, I I I don't think that that was necessarily as terrible a decision as people remember it. But we'd really got back into the game. We'd just equalised. We were well on top. And he does that thing where he leaves the ball for Bern Leno, despite it really doesn't look like he got a shout. <coughs> Excuse me. And then <coughs> literally you, you, you're up. all you're all broken. I up was ups- I was upset at losing top four too, Tim. But this is this is ancient <laughs> history, man. I mean, surely you're over it. Literally by now. choked up. Let it go, choked, man. Let it go. Choked with rage. But for me, what put the the image that I remember is not so much. Zaha scoring, it's Mustafi then blaming Leno <laughs> for it. And that's what I had a real problem with. Um, and that's that's a large part of the reason I had a big problem with him as a player, really. 
Yeah, there, there's a moment I remember too where he, th- those were the two I was going to pick. Sergio Aguero at the halfway line and Zaha in the Palace game, which cost us top four. One of, one of many things that cost us top four, to be fair. Um, I think there might have been a Shaka red card along the way there too, not to bring that, <laughs> bring that up unnecessarily, but, um, or a penalty, whatever it was. Um, I, I think there's one, and I can't remember the game it was, but where I knew we were in trouble with this player because there's a winger attacking the space in front of him, and he's got, you know, no one really behind him and, and players flowing back. So all he has to do is like sort of stand his ground, stand. And he he put in the, this like absurd lunging leg that he knew couldn't get anywhere and then fell on the ground to take himself out of the play. And I, I think the thing that bothered me about his defending, look, he was great in the air. Seems like a lovely guy, apparently a very nice, intelligent guy. But the thing that bothered me is all too often his career was punctuated by decisions to take himself out of the play early um, and leave it to his teammates not to ride the challenge, make the hard yards, do what it took to to try to snuff out the danger, but just dive in recklessly uh, and, and knowing that it, whether he gets there or not, he's out of the play and it's not his responsibility anymore. I hated that. So, uh, Clive, we're getting ready to say goodbye to this guy. It's not really your style to want to pick a terrible moment, but certainly feel free to pick your favorite uh, Mustafi moment if you want. But what I have left for you then is to maybe uh, weigh in on something I imagine you're more interested in, which is the lone departures of Joe Willick and Ainsley Maitland-Niles, if you wish. Yeah, loads of Mustafi moments. There's a Spurs one, wasn't there, when he, when he shoved Kane in the back, gave the penalty away. Remember that game? Mm. I just remember that anyway, and it's just like, oh, God. Um, hey, look, we shouldn't have bought him in the first place. I'm not I'm, I'm not up for five foot ten, ten, ten halves. You know what I will say, eight. Clive? I I have genuinely worried about the health and well-being of Andrew, of our blog, during Mustafi's time. I mean, I... He, he he is someone who I think was deeply, deeply troubled by this guy, a guy who played center back himself, uh, albeit at a different level. But just, I, I think he was personally no, no, quite actually, troubled. probably at the same level. <laughs> fair, fair point. He played it at a higher level, I should say. No, but I mean, he seemed deeply, deeply troubled by the player. So I'm happy for his emotional well-being. Apocalyptic is the word that comes to mind yes, for exactly. uh, Andrew. Mm-hmm. Incandescent. Uh but so, Clive, I mean, certainly feel free to, to punctuate the Mustafi career there and, and move on to the, the Nelson and, uh, pardon me, Willick and Maitland-Niles moves. And I, I don't actually believe there's a Nelson move that's going to come to fruition. But if there is, correct me. <laughs> as I was saying, I don't like five foot and a half. Listen, name is Cannavaro, right? So <laughs> simple as that. Um, so um, it looks as though, obviously, Willock going to Newcastle and... Um, and I'll potentially going to West Brom as we are recording. You know, these things can change in a tweet. Um, the Willett's Newcastle one is um, interesting. They had a decent result the weekend and they played um, the ex Arsenal boy, I forgot his name was, um, the ex Arsenal boy midfield and with, um, um, oh, crikey, I forgot his name. What's the guy who played for Arsenal in the mid? Which, um, which one? We had Was it? There was a Barkley or something. I don't That's know. That's it. Hayden. Hayden. Remember Hayden? Hayden. Yeah. yeah, remember Hayden? And so they played Hayden and, and Shelby in midfield and they're sort of using Almiron in there as almost like a diamond, right? So there's room for him to go in there with Jeff Hendrick and and play in that midfield and sort of get him behind, you know, um, Callum Wilson. So that looks like a good move for him. They're, they're lacking a sort of they breakaway sort of centre mid, you know, breaks into the box. So, so yeah, that makes sense because not really scoring much in midfield, not scoring much full stop. Um, Ainsley Maitland-Niles is the, is the, is the complex discussion. Now, I think throughout the day, Arsenal have decided that he's not going to Leicester. 
They've lost Dennis Pratt and Indeedy through injury. Leicester would probably like him. He's a, one of their sprinty type midfielders. And they've got three really good fullbacks we know about. But potentially he can be a fullback cover as well. I mean, what squad wouldn't like a player that can play for 100 positions, right? So, <laughs> but Arsenal see, Arsenal see, you know, them as a competitor, so they don't want to go there. I just read that Southampton were looking at him and they were looking at him option to buy an Arsenal were, were not against that. That's interesting. They've got a couple of team fullbacks as well. Uh, Carl Walker-Peters they like. Bertrand, I think they want to keep. I'm not sure if they're going to keep him or want to keep him at that price. You've got a young kid they just sent out on loan to Birmingham. I was not too sure which one. And so they've got a bit of backup there. And so, again, in the midfield, they've got Romeo and Ward-Prowse. So I think it's a bit of a challenge, but potentially it could be something that would work for him, but he doesn't want to do it. So he's going to want to go to West Brom and play in the midfield. There's, a, there's an issue here, isn't there? I also see him as a fullback. He sees himself as a midfielder. He's backing himself. He's not taking the transfer. I want to go and put myself in a shop window at West Brom and watch the ball go over my head like Andy Murray playing tennis, right? One side to the other, playing for Big Sam. So it's going to be interesting what he does. We'll take him out of the comfort zone of the, the Colney crash and get him out there. Maybe he'll realise that he should have tried a bit harder back at Arsenal, but... Who knows, right? It's a it's a complex discussion. People will say he hasn't been given enough time. He hasn't given enough time in centre midfield. I'm not given enough time on his right foot. I think this is an internal issue that we can all opine on based on the little snippets we get. But in the end, I think he sees his future elsewhere, and I think the club are okay with that. And and that is a shame because he's one of ours and he's not fully developed in my opinion and um, that's a shame but you can't keep them all and we've all said that and so you can't pick and choose <laughs> when you feel about that whether you think a player's got potential or not it's a shame because I think he does some things really really to a high level and when you have a player that can do things to a really high level you have to build around that but if you've got you know illusions of grandeur or people in your ear telling you you're this you're that and people saying you need to get an England squad like, how about booting a 29-year-old Cedric out of the team. How about focusing on that first? That's what I would be saying to him. And he hasn't quite done that well enough. So he's taking his chances elsewhere. And um, I wish him the best if he does go. I wish him the best. But I do feel a little bit of a, a tinge of regret. Yeah. I, and look, I mean, I, th- I think with both Willock and Maitland-Niles, you're the case of players who clearly are skillful and have talents. But it is unclear how to deploy them most effectively, and they seem unable to sort of unlock their talents on the pitch in a way that makes them a... It's hard for me to say, like, like a good player, right? Like, skillful and talented people who don't really combine their skills in a way that make them a, a good contributor to a team because they don't really have a position where they excel. I mean, I mean Maitland-Niles has some great one-on-one individual defending, but maybe has had trouble influencing the game in the attacking half as a fullback. I don't think his passing is clean enough to be in central midfield, but we'll find out. I think the best thing that can happen to either of these players on loan is that they establish a position that they can be effective at consistently. If that happens, Arsenal can decide whether they have a future at this level, but for their careers, uh, I think it has to be clearer what they are. You said, you know, Clive, who wouldn't love to have a player that can play five positions? The problem is who would love to have a player who can play five positions, but none of them at a good level? You know what I mean? None of them at the high enough level. Now, maybe it's high enough for for clubs yeah. of this stature, you know? It could have been. They could have partially blocked each other, actually, because Willock's had some centre midfield minutes that I think Mayden yeah. Miles could have had. And that's a shame, right? But he's what he is. He's football. He's just, I'm, not, I'm not overly concerned about it. 
You know, as long as they forge their careers, having players sitting there doing nothing is a much bigger issue for me. Yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. So um, let's talk about the United game. And I, I have been searching my Twitter timeline to find the comment someone made to me that I think summed this up perfectly. Because um, it was a really interesting game, and, and I think it was sort of a, a tough game to analyze. And then I, I said, you know, I thought we played well, but it's small margins. And that that was the way I summarized it, and someone summarized it better, and I am desperately trying to find this right now because I want to credit them, and I will credit them at some point in this podcast because I will find it. But basically what they said is, we could have won the game 2-0, we could have lost the game 2-0, but at least we're not playing like assholes anymore, and I'm here for it. And I think that's right. I think we had the balance of the play and the better attacking moves and the more dangerous play generally, and they probably had the best chances of the game. Um, And so depending on how you want to look at football, if you say, well, whoever had the best chances deserved to win, then maybe it's their game. If you want to say whoever played the best deserved to win, I I certainly think that was us. Um, But, you know, Paul, this is a game that, I don't think you can view any other way than through the lens of our three best players not being out there. And I don't think it is wrong to call Aubameyang, Saka, and Tierney our three best players at the moment. So, yeah, I think a lot of credit is deserved to the team being able to go out and just sort of play the football we've been playing and and play it effectively. So, let's talk, I think, first and foremost about the Pepe performance. For me, he is starting to really show a little bit of of what he can do more consistently, showing that he can be a player who influences the game more regularly. And I, I think that this is a performance where absent Aubameyang, absent Saka, obviously, you know, Martinelli's still just coming back from injury and, and maybe not able to influence the game as much as you might like. I thought Pepe was really influential here and showed a lot of personality and a, and a lot of good, effective attacking moves that maybe position him to be regularly in the team. So do you, do you think that... If you had to pick out a player to sort of start the conversation with, Pepe is as good as any. He's as good as any, yeah. Um, he like he's just intriguing because we've been all trying to work out what the Pepe problem is, um, and it's multifactorial. I guess you would say it's probably the four or five things we would all list. But for me, the first thing that comes to mind is he, he deserved the right to play with a ten because we were all discussing. You know, we got Smith Rowe in the team. We played Chelsea, West Brom, etc. And we're playing this great football. And we were saying, so what's the bloody problem with Pepe, right? Look at these players. Look at how they can play. Um, So how come Pepe sucks? And really, we were maybe partly diagnosing uh, the wrong illness in that. He also deserves to play in an attack that's functional, that has a 10, where we're creating some chaos chaos in their back line, because for all the reasons we would have identified, he has his issues. He tries to take on too many players. Uh, He's kind of in a greedy phase at the moment because he's probably trying to prove his point that he's actually an okay player when he gets minutes on the pitch, and he doesn't get enough minutes on the pitch. And he didn't seem to be doing all of his work. And yet... Now he's had two important games in a row, Southampton and United, both games in which uh, we faced a, a dangerous foe who could hurt you and where his work rate was really important. And on, in one case, he's partnered on the left with, with Cedric against Southampton. 
and he's one of our most pressing players and he's dragging back in this game against United. Uh, you know, he does all his work on that side, on, on the right-hand side there. And it's um, it just makes you think, how does this turn around so quickly with a player where you're like, we have all these problems and then we don't. And we see this with other players, how quickly things can turn around when the context changes. Um, so once again, we play with the 10. Um, and I thought Smith Rowe, another workman-like performance rather than the eye-catching video you could put together afterwards. Shame, really. Um, but this one and the Southampton one, I mean, it's all work rate with him. He looked like he was shagged at 70 or so minutes, and then he, I think he saw Odegaard warm, warming up on the touchline, so he, he uh, starts running around a bit more, maybe to enjoy his last few minutes or to, to try and keep the wolf from the door. Yeah, I, th- I, thought, but, I thought he looked totally um, shattered <laughs> when he was coming yeah. off. Yeah. Yeah, but our work rate here. So we talked about pressing against Southampton. So in the final third against Southampton, we had sixty, <clears throat> excuse me, sixty presses, pressures in the in our attacking third. In this game, it was still a pretty pre- uh, pressing, pressuring game, but not to the same levels. It was forty pressures in the final third, still way above our average, which is about thirty. Um, and so, but you saw Smith Rowe just running the length of the pitch time and time again. And, you know, uh, Lacazette and Pepe did their work. But that chaos, the fact that we didn't have the game all to ourselves, we didn't have them pinned down, the fact that um, they actually had more of the possession um, and that they're a bit chaotic themselves defensively at times. Um, this was a good game for Pepe and he, he, he did a, a lot of things that opened them up for us. Um, the, the challenge for him going forward is how does he get in the team when Aubameyang's back and Saka's fit? And we we're trying to work out how to get Smith Rowe and and uh, Odegaard on the pitch, or et cetera, et cetera. But these are good problems. Um, if he builds confidence with the manager, then instead of getting ten minutes, he'll get thirty, thirty-five minutes, and we'll do more rotation. And as we've seen, Saka can't play every game. And uh, yeah, he's definitely coming up the pecking order. It's just not easy to become a starter when you have uh, Saka and Alba who need to start. But mm. but you know. Stuff happens. So no, he, he's been. It's it's a revelation and so important to us, regardless of what his future with the club is. But I don't think we're going to easily shift him in the summer for real money. Um. So you know, it's important how this turns out, both for playing for us and to give us options. Of course, if he starts lighting it up, it, all things become possible. But maybe we just keep him because he's really good. He, yeah. He's a finisher. We can all see that. He, his his. His misses are always good, almost always good misses. Yeah, and I think you know. Look, the the issue for me right now is that there's just so many games coming up that are important. You know, I think the league feels fairly important again. Um, you know, some people talking about top four, and I, I think that's very premature. But I certainly think top six is uh, absolutely available to us. And the Europa League. At least League is- we can dream again, right? I mean, that's yeah, the, the, the fact that you you stare at the table and you start saying, well, if these guys did this and these guys did that, at least we can dream that we can flirt with top four. We, we put ourselves back into a position where the league is interesting enough again to not just sort of make yeah. it an experimental place where we, you know, bide our time between Europa League fixtures. So, you know, but with the Europa League coming back and that feeling ex- extremely urgent, there are going to be opportunities for a lot of different players to play. I think what we are seeing, 
you know, I, I've just been reading a lot of analysis about pressing this season and about how players are coping, and it does seem to be everybody's conclusion, everybody's analysis that the players are just extremely wiped out right now and, you know, more fatigued than usual. And I think the team, ordinarily I'm a believer that, you know, the teams that win use their squad less. You know, if, if you look at the teams that usually win titles, their most important players play 38 games, play 36 games, 37 games. I think there's going to be a need to use the squad more effectively. And we're in a position, weirdly now, to kind of do it in positions that maybe we didn't think we would be able to do it. Tim, you know, one of the big talking points in this game, though, is is definitely the, the Martinelli situation because I, I just feel we have become so short-term in the way we want to evaluate players. It's not just a few games ago we were on this podcast saying, is it as simple? Can you explain our resurgence as simply as Martinelli coming back and the energy he's brought back to the club? Like, he looked like a dynamo. It was never going to be linear. This is a guy who lost almost a year of his career at 18. That can be like starting over. And and so it was never going to be sort of a linear uh, development back to his absolute best. And this was a game where he struggled. I mean, he had absolutely extraordinary defensive intervention, the header um, to take the ball away from Rashford in a position that could have very easily been a goal. And that's almost like a goal, so I don't want to diminish it. But he gets taken off uh, at halftime for William, a move that uh, you know certainly didn't del- delight most of the Twitter people that I follow. Um, oh, real quick, because I, I think it's so important when you uh, use somebody else's brilliance that you reference it. I want to thank Jeff at JM underscore Arsenal for the quote. There are days we win that game 2-0. There are days we lose that game 2-0, but we don't play like assholes anymore, and I'm here for it. So thanks, Jeff, because I totally think that's right. Um how do you react to the Martinelli situation in light of the fact that that Arteta said it was tactical? Um, you know, that there seemed to be some suggestion that they wanted him to stay up the pitch more. Maybe he wasn't positionally really doing exactly what they wanted and William coming on. And just in general, sort of the expectations we can have about Martinelli returning to the kind of form we think he's capable of. That for me. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I, I saw yeah. you go from uh, mute to unmute. So I, I thought you may have been wondering. But yes, that is that is for you indeed. Yeah, sure. So um, with Martinelli, um, I I think the thing is, um, I I think this is a conversation we'll probably end up having more um, as the weeks go by, is that Arteta's still never really figured out a way to use him. Um, We've we've used him a few times without about, or rather Arteta, while Arteta's been here, um, like like all of Martinelli's best games have been without Aubameyang, right? And I appreciate Aubameyang wasn't playing in this game. Um, but in this game, weirdly, well, no, I was going to say Pepe was like the Aubameyang. He 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 kind of was in a sense because Pepe has four shots, right? Creates three chances. Um, I'm not sure Aubameyang would create three chances, but four shots. He was our shot heavy guy. Um, and, and I agree, Pepe played really well. In, in this game, I, I think the thing is with Martinelli, I think where he's probably um, got some development to go is in his kind of tactical appreciation um, of games. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't think he's quite there yet. I think he's a very, you know, he's a presser. He's a kind of scurry all over the place, um, you know, go to the ball, make runs kind of player. Um, and, and I really, really don't mean that pejoratively because I think that's the player Alexis Sanchez was. Um, and I was absolutely fine with that because he did that to the elite level. Um, and, and ultimately, I, I think we're kind of asking Martinelli to do what Aubameyang usually does, but it's not that simple because Martinelli, he's he's a low touch player and he's a good finisher, but he's not the same um, as Aubameyang and and ultimately Aubameyang's presence does give Arsenal a problem 
um, frankly. It gives Arsenal some problems in that he can't combine. He can't really dribble and beat players. That's not who he is. It's just he scores so many goals that it kind of doesn't matter. Um, it's and a really much, pesky quality that he's got. It's frustrating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I <laughs> I wrote something last week where I compared it, you know, to that Japanese movie Battle Royale, where all these kids go onto an island and have to fight to the death, and they're all given a random weapon, and uh, some of them get like a bazooka, and some of them get like a spoon, and it's a bit like a Bamiyang is kind of a weak footballer in many ways, but. He's got a bazooka, so who cares? Um, it's and, and and you know Martinelli's not quite there, but I don't I don't think that's who Martinelli is either. I see him as much more of like a Suarez, Sanchez type, that kind of busy press, press, press. Harry, um, that chance he creates in the first or nearly creates for Lacazette in the first half, which would have been brilliant, by the way, because he comes inside, beats two players, and does that very Sanchez esque lofted ball to the back post, and it's just a little bit too much on it for Lacazette but I, I think he's got some tactical development to go which which would make a hell of a lot of sense because um, the Brazilian fourth division not a tactical like not a, a hot pot of tactical innovation um, frankly so it would make total sense that you know he, he perhaps hasn't got the total tactical nuances that that Arteta really wants and like I say I don't think Abamyang has either really but he scores so many goals as to not make it a problem I am um, and and with with Martinelli at the moment I've said this on a on a few podcasts now I think at the moment while he's coming up to speed his job should be much more as an impact sub I think when games are a little bit unstructured when defences are tired and things like that, I, I think that's that's really when we should should be looking at using him at the moment. Uh, maybe the plan was what I, like I'm sure the plan was that Martinelli was not going to play 90 minutes in this game. It might have been 60 minutes, but Arteta saw um, a reason to make the change earlier than that and put on Willian. And uh, I completely agree with what Paul said on the instant reaction pod that worked. I can't tell you exactly why it worked or I can't entirely put it down to Willian or it, but, but it worked somehow. It changed the balance of the team, maybe because he's a more touch heavy player and he gave us a bit more technical security. Uh, Martinelli as a starter was one of the few in the starting lineup. I thought, oh, I'm a bit surprised by that and I'm not sure about that. I'm just not quite sure he's at the starting against Man United um, stage yet um, in terms of his in terms of his recovery. But, but ultimately, Elliot, I, I still think that Martinelli will be a centre forward Agreed, one day. Yeah. I, I, I really, really do. I, I'm not necessarily saying that Arsenal should do that now. And I think if Arsenal did it now, it would still take him three, four, five games to really get into it. A bit like when we moved first moved Van Persie um, to a lone striker and it took him four or five games to really get it. Um, it might take Martinelli even longer than that. But ultimately for his development, I... I really see him there one day, maybe one day when we in a couple of years, when we wave goodbye to Aubameyang and hopefully Martinelli's still here at that point. Maybe that's the point we go right now. You're a centre forward. But that that's that's what I see him as, I think, just because his play is quite unstructured, but in, unstructured in a good way. Like Suarez's players unstructured, like Sanchez's players unstructured. He he brings that that kind of that energy and that chaos. I'm I'm still not sure that Arteta really knows how to harness a player like that because he doesn't want. Um, I don't think he really wants unstructured or chaotic players for better or for worse. Mm. Um, so so we'll see. But I I still have 
a nagging i'm not going to call it a doubt necessarily but i still have this thing in the back of my mind where i'm not entirely sure how arteta uses this player to get the best out of him yeah i mean i mean the <laughs> the interesting thing is it, it kind of depends on lacazette to some ex- extent but i think lacazette probably will not be renewed i, I think it'd be sil- strange to renew him and you've got Aubameyang on a big contract for several years. You now clearly have wide options that you want to develop. I mean, Saka looks like a star in the making, an absolute star. I think Pepe has put himself right back in the frame for being an important starting player. We're certainly potentially resurrecting his Arsenal career and getting right back into the, the first choice wide forward debate. That means you could start to shift to an Aubameyang center forward Situation, which I think is more analogous to using Martinelli there. And if you play that way, you know, going into like a next season, not to just fast forward to next season off the United game, but Martinelli could be an option out wide. So you'd have Pepe, Saka, Martinelli as wide options. Aubameyang as your center forward, but Martinelli as a center forward option. You're probably one player light there, but it, it looks to me roughly like that works. Um, and I think it works better with a number 10 because you don't necessarily need that number nine to drop in as much. Um, Clive, you have a thought on Martinelli? Because then I guess that transitions us nicely to talking about Lacazette, talking about the the sort of chances we create in this game. I just want to make one quick point before you continue, Clive, and just ask generally the group what you think of this. If Granite Shaka makes a meal of that Bruno Fernandez tackle, like if he goes down holding himself hurt, rolling around, if we surround the ref, you do all the dark art stuff, is there a chance that's a red card? Does anybody think that that could be under VAR if Shaka really plays it up a red card? Because I, I look, I'm never going to criticize orange, a player for right? not. It's 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 red possible, right? It's a red eligible, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, look, I'm not criticizing Shaka. You can't criticize a player for being honest and just getting up and carrying on. But that's one of those cases where you say there <laughs> there might have been something there because that's a I nasty think- challenge. It studs it up into the back of his calf. I mean, he knows what he's doing. And it was in reaction to an incident just before then. Yeah. So, watch it. if the referee had a yellow card in him, then then Var looks at it, then he's in trouble. The referee didn't even yellow card him, and so it put him in an awkward situation, right? So they're not going to. You can't give a yellow card by Var. So it just had to be a red. And I don't think they were going to go. You're not even booked him. And give him a straight red. Do you know what I mean? Let's see, let's see, missed it. So I, I think it's just, it's just unfortunate. But that's a player that definitely I, I don't like. I didn't realize I didn't like him until this game was going, <laughs> and I thought I don't like you anymore. And he I looks like a rodent, out, doesn't he? <laughs> I tweeted out, please, someone just kick him and kick him a lot, right? <laughs> because he obviously can be rattled. And um, so yeah, it's not, I'm not a fan of him. He was nice when I was watching from previously from afar. See his impact, but now seeing a bit closer up, he's not for me, not at all. Yeah, um, you know, it is an interesting game when you look at the chances we had. You know, we took seventeen shots, um, and I, I found myself thinking Lacazette had a pretty good game, um, Clive, and, and yet when you look at it, he has one shot from open play. And the one shot from the free kick. Now the free kick could have won us a game. He hits the crossbar, so credit to him. He also created no chances. And I think this is one of those things that I, I'm constantly torn about with Lacazette because I'm watching him and I think, oh, he's playing well, he's doing a lot of stuff. And then you realize, like, your number nine didn't really have any open play goal scoring chances, didn't create any open play goal scoring chances. So I think that whole that whole situation is really up in the air with Aubameyang, you know, coming back soon. But how did you feel about 
the way the front line played in general. I mean, I know you wanted to talk about Martinelli. You could talk about Lacazette's performance in in a game where, you know, I think he flashed some things that are encouraging, but ultimately isn't doing some of the stuff you kind of need a striker to do. How do you feel about that situation? Because right now between Aubameyang, Saka, Pepe, Lacazette, you know, there's a lot of players making a case for themselves to, to be starting regularly. Yeah, so this game had a sort of different context. It was more of a defensive game. And also worked very hard to stay in, in a tight, compact unit and then break out from that unit, right? So they were using, I think the plan was to use Pepe and Martinelli to break out early, go high. Once we get a semblance of possession, go. You know what I mean? As, as you guys alluded to, maybe that's why Martinelli was too deep. He's too conscientious. He chases the ball a little bit. He wants to help out, and we were actually glad for some of his helping out. But on one chance, when he saved Rashford, he did bail Cedric out, who you know, was too square and didn't open his body out on a couple of occasions and basically bailed him out. But on one of those occasions, when he actually, on the chance before, when Rashford got it and Leno came out and Martelli sprayed back in, it was Martelli that got dispossessed outside his own D. And that's not really his game, running it out from defensive areas. They want him high, running in behind defences. So my coaching message to Martinelli would be, you have to work a lot harder on your availability. By that, I mean just making sure people can see you. You're available for the ball consistently. I thought he was static on the touchline a little bit and didn't do enough aggressive, proactive running so you could be found. And Chaka would have found him. He's in that mode at the moment. So he's got to work a bit harder on his availability before we can see his talent. I think he received nine passes in this game. And that's not enough for a talent of like that. I'm not, I don't believe he's a particularly high touch player, but I don't believe he's a low touch player neither. I think he's a very busy player. I sort of, uh, in the way he moves and the way he runs, I'm going to say this and I hope he doesn't get me too much kicking, but he almost reminds me of a Danny Ings in his movement. He's very sprintly, quite crouched. And he's very dynamic in his sideways movements from first to the ball. And he could develop into a Danny Ings type centre forward. But right now at 18-19, I think he's a wide player, a hard-working wide player. But he has to work more on his movement to to fit with the tactics, shall we say. On this day, we want him to go long. And he didn't do it. You know, can you think of a time when he went long in this game, went in behind? I, I can't think of one. That's a good point. He, he wants it to. He wants to come and get it, but you can't just play your game. You got to play what we want you to play. The Pepe, he plays on that side. He went long. A Bang Yang, when he plays on that side, he goes long. We've got a distributing fullback. We got Shaka in behind the left hand side. We need you to stretch in behind Wamba Saka because he's stupid. Right, so he got to do this. And I don't think he did on the day. And I'm just assuming that's what the tactical message was. I'm not saying William was. He's a sprinter in behind. But immediately came on and drove them back. Couple of dribbles straight in up to that point. Suddenly they're back edge of their box. And we dominated territorially just after half time because we were positioned higher at the pitch. And it wasn't just the Martelli thing. But I think if you're looking for a reason as to why he got hooked, that may have been it. On Lacazette, again, just into the context of the game, it was a defensive game. And Lacazette, you've got a view of your centre forward edit. Absolutely right. In this game, we need Lacazette to be this guy because we needed to collapse into their midfield, sneak up behind Pogba, sneak up behind Fred, make sure they can dominate those central areas. And Lacazette's a big part of that to nibble from the front end. And we use Smith Rowe to vacate into wide areas and create like a wide 
diamond either side or connection or Y triangle. So we get a rat attack going in wide areas. So we need Lacazette to play almost like a 10 rather than a 9 and come back in and bite. You know, so it was just a, the day. I did think sometimes he was a bit deep and I did want to get out the pitch, but he is what he is. My thought for this game, within the context of this game, I thought he did a decent job. Yeah, you know what's interesting too, Clive, and, and maybe this... You know, you talked about how he didn't go long. He didn't stay up the pitch, and, and that was something that William did. You know what What I wonder? Sometimes we think about it in terms of how we want to hurt them with the ball, but I wonder if it was also part of what we wanted to do when we lost the ball. Because if we were going to play up the pitch and get the ball you know, into their half, if we were going to have party trying to break lines and you know, trying to get the ball into Maitland-Niles between the lines, whatever, uh, I mean, Maitland-Niles shows you where my head is right now, uh, Smith-Row between the lines, whatever the case may be, one of the reasons you want your forward to go long is because it lets you trigger a press easier when you lose it. You know what I mean? If Martinelli yeah. drops back to come for the ball, then he's not in a position to necessarily press, and he can be a very good pressing player. He's got a good engine. He's got a, a, a good ability to close down space. And so, Paul, I wonder, because in the second half, I felt we pressed them really effectively. I thought that was when we... they There was a section a period there, I think it was eight or nine minutes in the second half where we had like 80% possession because they couldn't play out. Yeah. And I wonder if some of that is, again, just William being up the pitch, doing the, what he was instructed a little more, allowing us to trigger our press. So do you think that there's that that's all tied in together, that wanting those forwards in certain positions allows you to to turn on that, that counter press a little more easily when you lose the ball? Because it definitely looked like we were doing it more to start the second half, and I thought it led to our best period of the game. Yeah, no, I think that's right. If you actually look at Williams, like if you go across the stats for the various things, just busyness, Williams very, very busy for a guy who's only on half, half a match. So again, I'm still not quite sure why it was so significant, but we definitely maintained a level of control and uh, interplay in the team, especially in kind of, we started fast in the second half. Uh, and then we had a long period, really, from pretty much the, the start of the second half through to maybe, you know, 60, 70 minutes, uh, where I think we started to flag a little bit at that point, where we we were just, we were we were doing the pushing. We were getting, uh, we were having our attacking moments with Pepe, with, with Laka. We were getting our free kicks up the pitch. Smith Rowe was getting involved. And there was just some connective tissue there that, um, where William was part of it, even if he wasn't the eye-catching part of it. He was obviously standing in the right spot, forming triangles, understood the game plan. I mean, obviously, there's something going on between him and Arteta that's not translating from the the, the practice pitch into the game situations because he keeps sticking with them. And, like, unless there's some kind of blackmail arrangement or some other thing, there's something about William who get that he gets what it is Arteta is trying to do, even if it hasn't been realized on the pitch. And again, Willian is a guy, I'm not saying he hasn't played with Smith Rowe on the pitch or with a 10 on the pitch, but you know, almost every one of our players who's been bad has started to look good recently. The team's playing better. We're playing with a 10. We're knocking it around. And yes, he's had a couple of shots to play well and didn't, but uh, you know, this here, he had a nice 45 minutes um, where now it's against United, so you're always going to get your look. Uh, um, I mean, I think they were pretty proactive in the second half, United, but uh, um, 
you know, I, I actually think their their busier, more proactive, more possession oriented half was the first half. And in the second half, we really kind of came into it, especially early on. And Willian and the boys working the plan and knocking it around and um, holding their shape and their pattern. I just thought I felt pretty good about our second half for most of it. And then every now and then you'd have, I think we had two Cavani moments and you're like, shit your pants. But then that's also how I remember Cavani for PSG. He's, he's brilliant to get into those positions, but confounding when he misses. I also think that one, like he's two brilliant chances, but that one where he's laid on, where he's reaching behind him and almost scores. I mean, I don't think most people would have made that chance look like such an almost chance. There's, well, he's falling he, back and hits it on the full volley. Like, it's through his own quality brilliant. that he turns it into yeah. a chance. I think he does himself yeah. no, no credit there, right? Because by even making it yeah. into a chance, he gives himself the yeah. chance to look like he's screwed it up. You know? Yeah. Now, there's the early one. There's, that's a classic Cavani, right? I mean, mm. he, he's beaten everybody in front of the He's in front of the goal. Leno has gone past the post, and we're just wide open, and he Cavani's it. And he's like one out of two in those situations. And th- this was the two. So that's good. You know where we got so, lucky there is that it goes between Leno and the post. Because if it hits Leno, there's a chance <laughs> that it goes back into the goal. On that one. <laughs> so, yeah, like the second half is just, I think it's mostly very, very good. And unfortunately, those two Cavani uh, chances. I mean, Rashford, Rashford had a couple of chances too. One in particular where he dawdled for forever. And then another one where he should have laid it off to, I think, uh, Cavani and he dawdled too much on it but outside of that that's kind of how United win games while playing badly I thought they were pretty good in this um but I thought we were stronger in the second half and and like the I, I thought we were wasteful in the first half I just thought there were four five six seven uh passes that were stupid and didn't need to be lost and I think you know Somehow, the shots, the shots on the counterattack, both party and Lacazette took shots on the counter. And the Lacazette one was unforgivable. It's his one shot from open play. And all he has to do is slip in Martinelli in the left channel. And it, it it's a really good goal scoring chance. Yeah. And I just feel our Arteta was, fr- uh, he was clearly frustrated with the first half and kind of, he had one change to, ma- to make in his mind and he kind of took it out on Martinelli a little bit, but Hey, with William in the side, we we held onto the ball in the second half and constructed play and got up the pitch. So, all good. But he was busy. If you look at his stats, uh, I don't know what he did, but he did a bit of everything. Yeah. Um. Well. So. Yeah. That. That is the thing that frustrated me. I think in this game is we took seventeen shots, and this is a game where if we took maybe a couple fewer, we would have made the extra pass. Well, then there would have been another shot to create a better chance. But you, you know what I mean, Tim? Like those those two moments, party with the spectacular carry up the pitch. Um. And then taking the shot from distance, and um, Lacazette <clears throat> taking the shot from the top of the box and counterattack when Martinelli is standing in acres of space. It definitely, uh, it's definitely the rare example of Arsenal being too quick to shoot when a better play was on. Are, are those? Do you think those were two pretty substantial moments where we could have created something a lot more dangerous? Yeah, definitely. And and I think really, if you look at the balance of this game, I, I think Arsenal had. You know, it was very fifty fifty, but Arsenal, I think. Arsenal had more chances and and I'd count, you know, situations as well as chances than United, Mm -hmm. but United had the clearer ones and, and the decision-making just, just wasn't quite there. And look, maybe, maybe if Aubameyang's playing, maybe if, maybe if Saka is playing either, 
there is a different player available in a slightly different position and the decisions are better um, or maybe a different player has the ball in those in those situations and those circumstances so um, I you know I, I don't think we can totally ignore the impact of two of the mainstays of our attack like our first choice wingers were out effectively and uh, as well as um, our, one of our first choice fullbacks so that that's probably going to have an impact um, and yeah I think I think maybe we did just not quite make the right decisions um, in some of those circumstances. Um, and, and I guess um, in, in terms of Pepe, actually, I, I wanted to just add a little bit on, um, I know we talked about him at the beginning of the podcast, but the, the thing I really liked about Pepe, I mean, so the things that don't surprise you about this Pepe performance, he has four shots and three chances created. And you think, yeah, even when I think he's played terribly, he kind of does that. Um, but I, I think it's just the way he did the fundamentals this time um, and, and in the Southampton game, the stuff like the ball recoveries, w- what he's done, um, which is really, and, and to your point earlier, Elliot, about um, how quickly we reevaluate players, you know, just two, three games ago, we were going, oh my God, Pepe's a bust. How do we get rid of him? Um, and and very quickly, it's come to a stage where we were missing a Bamiyang for this game. And a lot of people, myself included, were thinking, well, if Pepe plays like he did against Southampton, I don't really mind that. And, it, you know, if he takes four shots of the quality that he took in this game, that is absolutely fine. If he keeps taking shots like that at the rate of three or four a game, he will score every other game, um, I think. But, but for me, what's really pleasing is he's doing more of the fundamentals. He's... Um, you know, he's going and getting his... And this is similar to what I felt about the Smith Rowe performance against Southampton. Like, if you're... You can't make your entire game um, dependent on producing a goal or an assist unless you are absolute... Like, unless you're Aguero, maybe even a yeah. Bamiyang, yeah. Um, and you do it at such a level that it's that it's kind of okay. But, you know, go, go and get your six and seven out of ten. Go and do the ball recoveries. Don't go and do the pressing. Don't fuck up stupid simple passes trap the ball when it comes to you know do that stuff and like none of us have any doubts that Pepe can pull off the other stuff Mm. Um, and and yeah in this scenario possibly like I get the impression with party he likes a shot um, and that we might like his shooting less and less Mm. (laughs) as time goes on Um, that he might have that granite Chaka story yeah Exactly that that early Xhaka tendency, which we entertained for far too long because Shoot. he scored two, yeah, because he scored two blinders in his opening couple of months at the club. Um, I think back to back actually at Hull and Nottingham Forest, and we were all like, "Oh, this guy can shoot." And then about a year will. later, we were like, "No, he can't really, can he?" <laughs> Those were outliers. Yeah, and and I, I do get the impression that that Party has that in him, perhaps that slight impetuousness. Um, which is not always terrible because a few of them will fly in as well. Um, but yeah, and and with you know Lacazette pr- perhaps made, didn't make the right decision in that particular circumstance. But um, I, you know I I don't think Lacazette will be here next season anyway, and it will probably be a different player making that making that particular decision. Yeah, I, I will tell you this. Clive and I did the scouting video on Party, and uh, I can vouch for this from the video we watched. Party has a, a right leg like a traction engine, and he can absolutely hammer them into the back of the net. And I say, well, Shaka can too, but you'd still rather he doesn't do that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I, I actually, the party one, I was sort of expecting him to hit that 
into the upper left corner yep. at a thousand miles an hour because I just know he can. Um, the Lacazette one felt like it was on, it was less on, and he also tried to place it, which you know from that distance I think is very difficult. Um, before I move on from you, Tim, just super super quick, I think the conventional wisdom in this game, and and Clive, I know you want to talk about this, so we'll we'll get to this as well. I think the conventional wisdom in this game is that Shaka was the better midfielder and that party had an off day. And we touched on this in the instant reaction pod. And I think this is so interesting in terms of how you evaluate football. Football is a moments game. It's hard to remember every little thing that happens in a match because most of them are inconsequential. So you remember the big <clears throat> moments. Party had some really bad giveaways in this game. And I think because <clears throat> those stand out, and because Shaka had largely a very good game, I think he passed it like 97%, whereas Party was 73%. Really bad from your central midfielder, let's be honest. But, you know, I still feel that when it came to carrying the ball forward beyond players, pushing the play forward, first touch out of his feet, second touch forward, like the stuff we always praise Party for, I still think some of our best movements forward into the attack were instigated by Party. So I'm, I'm kind of curious how you evaluate this because I thought Shaq was excellent. I'm not taking anything away from him. Um, he had, you know, one mm. lunge in tackle that he missed that was kind of bad and the rest of the game was very, very clean from him. But I still think if you're evaluating based on who did who did the more progressive stuff, I thought Party was very good in this game driving us forward. He just was uncharacteristically sloppy, uh, maybe maybe doing a little too much. So how do you look at that? those midfield performances in terms of maybe slightly overweighting the passes party didn't complete. Yeah, I, I think the frustration, the, one of the reasons that Party's performance was eye-catching in the wrong respect is is because he did a lot of good stuff before he did the bad thing, you know, where he would carry it forward and you think, oh, here we go. Oh, no. He's, it, it was almost um, like a DRB-esque <laughs> game from him. Um, in a way, I seem to remember Abu Diaby doing a lot of that. You know, you getting the ball on a dribble, getting you on the edge of the seat, um, and then just spanking it out of play under no pressure. Um, and and I, I think there was an element of that to Party's game. And, and I think we've got to take into account, obviously, his level of fitness. He didn't last 90 minutes against Southampton the other night and and went off with cramps. So they're they're clearly still looking after him. And I, you know, I. I, I give him, and you know, obviously because he's new and we all love him. I, you know, I, I, I give him a bit of a buy on that. On um, on Jacka's performance. So I mean, the thing is, I guess it's how you evaluate the roles um, that the players are being asked to play, and we can only guess on those things, right? But you know, Jacka is definitely is absolutely definitely supposed to be the deeper of the two. I I want my deep lying midfielder to complete ninety seven percent, even if not all of those are like line breakers or, you know, def- like def- splitting defenses open. I don't expect or even particularly want Xhaka to carry the ball. I want him to find Party and Smith Rowe really at a minimum, or the fullbacks going forward. Or, or if not, if he can't do that, just don't give it away. Because if you give it away in the area of the pitch he plays in, you, you're pretty fucked, um, quite frankly. So that that's that's kind of what I expect from him. And in terms of what I expect from Xhaka, I thought this was a superb game from him. I really did. Agreed, yes. And um, and and I I guess as well, maybe I'm more inclined to think that because maybe I feel like I'd been unfair. Um, I I, I still don't think generally but in the context of this game I'd, I'd written a piece a couple of weeks ago where I kind of 
wondered, you know, can can Jack be like the condiment? Can he like, you know, fade into the background very nicely so Party can do all the big exciting stuff? And and, and I, I guess I still feel like that overall. But actually, based on this game, that's quite unfair. I, he did quite a bit, not a load more than that. But do you know what I mean? Like he wasn't he wasn't like a shrinking violet. Um, in this game, he still he he was he was kind of firm in in his actions and what he did, without I think doing that thing where he wants to completely take over. Like I, I guess essentially, I think Jacker really really did what I consider and what I think his job to be, um, and he didn't you know he didn't go mad and have like a funny five minutes because party's execution wasn't there he was he he was um he was he was just very solid he was just a bit of an anchor um and i didn't i didn't panic when he had the ball um i didn't panic with his positioning or anything like that i just think he did a really firm like seven or eight out of ten job um whereas whereas party was a little bit more up and down than that and uh, yeah, so I, I guess given my estimation of both their roles, I thought Xhaka played his to a T. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Paul, I know you want to weigh in on this, and I'd, I'd really like to uh, obviously hear what Clive has to say too. So do you want to do a, a quick bit or uh, give it the full gusto yeah. after Clive? Okay, yeah. Yeah, just a quick bit. Uh, like Tim covered a lot of what I wanted to hit, what wanted to hit there. There's a differentiation in the two roles because we have a tendency to compare the two of them. But they've, they're working out, and it varies a little bit by game, what their balance is and what the differentiation is. We've seen a game where uh, Chaka stands to his to, uh, to parties left, and he's kind of proactive and pinging them up the pitch, etc., when, when it's laid off to him. This was a game in which he sat a little deeper, as Tim alluded to. He'd fall between the two uh, centre-backs to play it out, ping it up to Chaka, who was further upfield and was the more progressive player. But, you know, prog- as soon as you say he was the more progressive player, it sounds like he was the better player. And I just think Chaka had a really good game. Dropping into the uh, left-back spot to progress it, dropping between the centre-backs, they're finding a really nice balance. I thought uh, Party had a poor game for him. Uh, but I really like him and what he brings. And even in this game, he's a force. And uh, I wouldn't want anybody else standing in the ma- in the middle of that midfield uh, against United, against Pogba, against those guys. Those are two beefy midfielders we have there who don't take no shit from nobody. And Jack can, can stay a little calmer because party's there. Maybe it'll take away the, the red mist tendencies with him. I mean, he got his heel stamped and stayed cool. So that was something. Um, and so um, I just think we got to open, we got to look with new eyes in terms of the role for Chaka. I watched this video at the weekend, which was fascinating. It's, it's Johan Cruyff, I retweeted it at one stage, talking about how Holland played with a 3-4-3 or 4 at the back and how he talk, played with Barcelona and Pep. And holy shit, you can see, you kind of think of Arteta stealing his ideas from Pep, but you can see about halfway through the video, he starts talking about the midfielder dropping deep or dropping into the left back position. And he's drawing it up on the board and you can't help but think, oh, that's that's why he's putting Chaka there. He's got more space, more time. He's got his angles, uh, blah, blah, blah. The the David Luiz position and the role and, and why he has space and why he can p- progress up the pitch from, from centre back. And you just start seeing 
the thinking goes beyond Arteta or Arteta with with Guardiola. There's a whole logic there with that whole left back thing. With the why the three four three like. Um, uh, Cruyff is talking about the three-four-three as his as an attacking formation, and you begin to understand how Arteta envisaged us playing. It didn't work out. We never got to it being an attacking formation, but it's very, very interesting. And I'll I'll retweet it after this. There's various things you'll see in there. Oh, okay, that's where he's getting it from. There's a whole mm-hmm. lineage here of what he's trying to do, and the Chaka role. Uh, is covered quite well in terms of playing deeper and what what his role is versus the other midfielder. Mm. I am uh, I am curious what the full gusto would have looked like versus the quick addition, but I I still profited from your wisdom there and I appreciate it. Um, uh, Claude, <laughs> no, it was great. I, look, it's great. I just I am confused as to what the full gusto <laughs> would have sounded like versus the the I quick got feelings. Addition. I got a lot of feelings, Elliot, and you don't hey, understand my feelings. I am literally just a thriving walking ball of feelings at all times. You don't have to explain <laughs> it to me, buddy. Um, by the way, I have to laugh, Paul. You know when you described the 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 sliding tackle that I think Tim correctly identified as from the Spurs game, the Mustafi one. Like, I yeah. thought what would have been hilarious, I mean, they would never do it, is if the Arsenal social media team announced Mustafi leaving by showing a video of him sliding into the picture and just continuing to slide out of the picture and saying, like, <laughs> Mustafi has slid out of the club. <laughs> He's just slid right out of the club. Like, that's how, how I picture him leaving the club. I found my tweet, by the way, in. and sadly it turns out to be the Bournemouth game. Oh, so. that's a shame. Well, anyway, it's pretty I, um, I was completely wrong. I, I steered you wrong. I'm still you know talking, aren't I? I was only going to be quick, and now yet here I am still yakking away. The, the good news is that Clive Clive wasn't sure what he was going to say, so he's now had plenty of time to come up with it. Clive, um, let's uh, let's move on and talk about the weather tomorrow in London. No, I'm kidding. Uh, the, the midfield is there is there enough meat on the bone, my man, for you to to, to uh, give us your insight on the midfield? Because before we get out of here, I still yeah, want to talk about the Cedric performance and um, the news for tomorrow. Because as you have indicated in our chat. Uh, Aubameyang, Saka, Tierney, all training today. I uh, I think that is what you call a good sign. But yes, uh, please uh, educate us further on the midfield situation. Right, so every game context, what, what's the context of this game? The last time we played them, we beat them, and who was the man of the match? Party was, right? So they made an adjustment straight away. So they put Bruno on to party if you watch the game. And they also did something which I didn't expect. Started with a four-two-three-one. They put Pogba on the left and not Rashford, and put Rashford on the right. And so, what are they doing there? Really? They were letting us come out on our right-hand side, and they tried. Lots of teams focus on on the Bellerin holding link, right? So, it's easier for them to get goal-scoring situations from that side, shooting off your right foot, or you switch it to your striker on the right-hand side. So you see the switch there. So they really try to press that right-back situation. So let you out, but only down that side. Goes into Bellerin trigger. So, and obviously Party's the right centre-back, right? So so what's the thing is, give it to Bellerin, into Party, Party tries to get out. If he gets out, great. We see the goal that Bamian scored against, I can't remember now, the left-footed shot. Bang, goal. If he doesn't get out, gets trapped, then of course we're in transition, transition straight into Rashford. And that happens on a couple of occasions, but we did really well to recover the ball. So what Arsenal did quite smartly was they pushed Smith-Rowe into that side. So rather than having a triangle getting out, they made it a diamond getting out on that right-hand side. And that's the trick. That's why I, I don't know if it happened by design or just Smith-Rowe being clever. And you know what? That kid is so clever. 
you know, his brain's well ahead of his body. And he created that connection. And we started getting out that side. Do you remember Pepe going down that side, Smith Rowe going down that side? And so they really tried to load in on our right back and our right centre mid. And this is where holding, this is one of my favourite games. You hear me talk about problem solving. You see holding go long over the top, little drift pass over the top. Rather than go to Bellerin every single time, which he does quite a lot, he drifted a couple over the top first first go. And that's good. That's, that discourages the press. You see what I mean? It stretches it out. And so they targeted on that area. And that's okay. Every now and again, you're going to get your best players targeted and marked and stood on. Bruno didn't play well. He was crap. Right? He was absolutely crap. He didn't do anything apart from dive around. So he sacrificed himself to stop our man from progressing the ball. He struck so one hell real... of a free kick, by the way. We should just mention that, that David Luiz may have saved from being a goal. <laughs> yeah, but he didn't do anything in open play. No, nope, nope, Nothing nope. in open play, right? So he didn't do nothing. And so this is the thing why I was so pleased with Shaka was, if you take out the main man, the other guy best, best play well. And he did. Do you see what I mean? And so Smith Rowe and, and Shaka were able to problem solve the fact that they targeted our right-sided area. So on the Discord, it was Bellerin and Party looking a bit dodgy, could have paid a couple of dodgy passes. Well, they were they were targeted. They were literally targeted and pressed off the ball and outnumbered. And so when we have to problem-solve by adding superiority on that side in Smith-Rowe or switching to the left-hand side, which we did, we moved Shaka in second half and progressed up the left a lot more and destabilised them. Rashford ends up coming off the pitch because he's on the wrong side of the pitch with him. He's disgruntled. Even talk about his performance, he was just a, a victim of the tactics. The victim of being on the wrong side, shooting off his, on the right side when he doesn't like to do that. He's got no muscle memory, victim of the tactics. And so, yeah, every game has its context. But the good thing is we solved the problem. We solved it. We got out. And then we flipped our play to the left-hand side and had our 20 minutes golden period where we absolutely battered them. Mm. So whatever they brought to the show, we got around it. And so why I was so pleased by this game, and we have a sustained way of pressing, a sustained way of exiting, with smart players that are joining and connecting, and that's great. So we'll see another day when Shaka gets targeted. We've seen that before, haven't we? So, <laughs> Sadly, um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> on many occasions. And then it's up to party to be available and show his feet, you know, and then break from that area. So a really, really good tactical game, which we didn't lose and could have easily won. Yeah, and you know, I, I want to just pick up on one thing you said right there at the end that we didn't lose and could easily have won. Look, I like, and, and from from the, the tweet I referenced earlier, we did, we're not playing like assholes. When you go and try to win games, you are going to struggle sometimes to keep clean sheets because you're you're putting more pressure in the attacking half in the final third trying to win. I don't mind us giving away a couple of chances to United in exchange for trying to beat United. I like seeing us take 17 shots. I like seeing us have 80% possession in the beginning of the second half and pressing them to the point where they, you know, counter-pressing where they can't get out of their defensive third. I like seeing us have the ball in dangerous areas and, and, and causing problems for the opposition, forcing them to solve problems. And sometimes they are going to solve the problem. They'll, they'll get their chances, and that's fine. You know, I, I am a person who likes that type of football. Now, I, I understand that there are people that, you know, preferred defensive football because they don't want to see us conceding chances, but we kept a clean sheet here anyway. I think during this period where we've transitioned to be a, a more attack-oriented team, we've managed to do it without totally, um, you know, crumbling at the back. And I think, Tim, I'd be remiss if I didn't give you a chance, since you are a Brazilian correspondent, uh, 
to praise David Louise, who I think we've all had some questions about. I think you in particular have some apologizing to do, having criticized the selection of David Luiz uh, rather than Gabriel. Um, although, you know, to be fair, that's Brazilian for Brazil, Brazilian on Brazilian love, which is fine. Um, you know, and uh, quickly, I don't think we need to analyze the goalkeeper. Goalkeeper analysis is not really interesting to me, but, but Bern Leno, you know, look, all you have to say, I know a lot of people wanted Martinez to stay instead of Leno. Martinez is doing great too, but Leno has saved us points, period. Yeah. When there's a critical save he has to make in a game we've played well and it would be heartbreaking to lose it, he makes a save. That fingertip around yep. the post is sensational. So enough said about Leno because I, I don't think you need to go into it. But do you want to um, apologize to David Luiz and praise the center back? <laughs> uh, no. Uh, <laughs> I, I'd, I'd say about Leno, I, I think you're right. I do think he's gone up a level um, this season. And I think I was thinking about this the other day. You could make a very solid case that Leno and Martinez have been the two best goalkeepers in the league this season. Um, so far, just a bit of food for thought on on the the, the defending the defence. Um, I I wasn't enormously against uh, the selection of David Luiz. I kind of said it as a sop because I made the mistake of saying on Twitter that I think Gabriel might have made one or two mistakes, and um, I think a few people hit the translate button on that and and read. I hate Gabriel. I think he's an absolute disaster. Uh, I hope terrible things happen to him. And every other defender that has ever played for Arsenal is miles better and has never made a mistake. You know how Twitter is. Mm. <laughs> and so I kind of said as a, as a sop for that, like I probably would have still selected Gabriel for this game over Louise, but I didn't feel strongly about it. Um, I, I, I think... I actually, I, th- I think focusing on the defending is really interesting and why Arsenal are defending better. And and actually, I, I don't think it's an awful lot to do with the defenders or the centre-backs. You know, I think Rob Holding's been, been perfectly solid and consistent and Leno's been a bit more than that. But really, like, the the composition of that defence has changed constantly. We've had lots and lots of change in there other than Holding. Um, and, and I think the reason why we're defending better is really simple. Is First of all, we're spending more time, more time attacking. Um, and you guys referenced that on the Instant Reaction pod as well. Excuse me, if you're attacking teams more, it stands to reason you spend less time defending. But really, I think what's happened is this is another, yet another thing that Smith Rowe has changed uh, for the better. He hasn't just changed the way we attack. He's changed the way we defend because essentially what was happening is we used to have three centre-backs and two centre-mids. Now we have two centre-backs and three centre-mids. And basically, there's just less stress on, on the defence. Um, I think it's that simple. And when you've got Smith Rowe you know, having seven, six ball recoveries per game, pressing, winning the ball back, and also making himself available so that we don't give it away so often. Um, so there's just a bit more fluidity to our game. He's he's just been like a bit of polyfiller, really, for the team. He's just like, he's just filled in a lot of cracks by doing a lot of actually quite simple stuff. Um, and, and one of the things that impresses me most about his game is the simplicity in it. Um, and, and therefore, that that's why I think we've been defending better. Also, I think we need to look at the opposition that we've played um, in this time. So Brighton, West Brom, Newcastle, Palace, none of those teams. Fantastic in attack. All right, we kept Man United out, but United have one goal this season against the top six plus Leicester. And that was in a game they lost 6-1. Um, United aren't scoring in these games. They're being a bit cagey and cautious because of what happened to them in that Spurs game. So I think it's possibly too early to say we're absolutely transformed. Um, or, or I don't know. Well, maybe by the level we were at, <laughs> we are. 
Um, but th- there'll be stiffer tests to come in in that respect, I think. But um, so so uh, like uh, not to take anything away from David Luiz, I thought he had a, a perfectly decent game. So did Rob Holding. I, I don't think that's why we're defending better, though. I think we're defending better because we've got more purpose. We're pressing opponents higher up. We're giving more more the more of a problem in midfield, and we've just got the ball in interesting areas a little bit more. Yeah. Um... I, I think this gives me a chance to then wind this all the way back to the transfer window at this point now. Is everybody okay with that as as, as a final moment here? Um, because sure. it, it lets me reference the Cedric performance in a positive way, I might add, Paul, but then also folding that into the decision to move Maitland-Niles out on loan. I, I think there is sort of a hysteria about squad depth that I have just never bought into. Um, you know, you are... You are very rarely going to win the same things if you have to depend on your third choice something or other that you are going to win if you have your first choice. I mean, ultimately, if we lose Tierney for the next 20 games, we will not be as good as if we have Tierney for the next 20 games. Not that there are 20 games, so that would be uh, even weirder. We'd be losing him for some preseason games, I guess. Um, You're not going to be as good if you lose uh, Thomas Party. (laughs) We've seen that. God knows. Um... So I think the point is you need to have some depth. You need to have players you can use who can put in a performance. But the amount of depth, I think there's a little hysteria to. And what Cedric has shown is that he can be an option to start at right back and start at left back and put in creditable performances. And that's a big improvement from where we were with him and where I was with him, admittedly, uh, until recently. But I, I think there is this sense that you need a million players at each position. There are There are people, I am currently debating with them on the internets, thinking that letting Maitland-Niles go without bringing a left back is a mistake because well, what are we going to do if Tierney's injured? You've got you've got Cedric, but if Cedric has to play it right back, if Bellerin's injured, then you don't have a left back. Well, first of all, yes, that's right. If both of our starting fullbacks are injured, we will be in a less good position. And if we had seven players for every position, that would solve the problem. Hooray. Well, here's the problem. I mean, what do you do about the fact that these players are routinely not even making it into match day squads? You are not going to have a backup right back and left back on the bench every game. You're at a point where you're saying you should keep players who most games won't even make the bench. I just don't think that's sensible. You send Maitland-Niles out, you increase his value, you sell him in the summer for something approaching $20 million, That's sensible. You leave him here as an emergency fullback backup that the manager doesn't really want to use, and he's not even making most match day squads, and he makes four appearances? I, I, don't, I don't see it. And, you know, it just occurred to me in my own head through no prompting that we also have Chambers for right-back backup. And it definitely wasn't Clive typing it into the chat. It was definitely my brain that thought that up. So, Paul, this is a long ranting way of saying, like, Mm -hmm. you know, look, you now have Cedric as a backup if Tierney's unavailable and Cedric as a backup if Bellerin's not available. If Tierney's playing and you want to start Cedric, you can do that. If for some reason you don't have any of them, you can play Chambers at right-back. You can play sack at left back. And he's like, you can't play sack at left back. You got to start him at right wing. He's too good to play. Of course you don't want to. It's your emergency solution. And if you have to play him there, you play Pepe and Martinelli and Aubameyang or Pepe and Aubameyang and, and Lacazette. Or you play Shaka at left back, depending on the game. Or Gabriel at left back. Another thing that I just thought of out of my own head that wasn't typed into the chat. So, Or Gabriel Magalliais, depending on which Gabriel you meant. I literally just said that, you non-listening... Uh, anyway, no, no, uh, but not listening. I thought maybe you meant Martinelli. But. Oh, oh, Gabriel Martin. Yep, yeah, you know what? That's right. Could have been either. Anyway, long story short. Yeah, this was meant to be your chance to say how great Cedric did, and that 
may, may, do you agree that we don't need seven choices backing up every position and that it's okay to let one guy who's playing well be your solution at a couple positions and then the guy behind that be an emergency solution? Uh, look, I could go either way on it, uh, but I'm going to go your way because I think the bottom line is what Arteta is doing in this window is he wants the fresh start. Things are going well. The vibe's good. He wants the players that want to be there, that get that get it, that are part of the plan going forward to be there. And Ainsley Maitland-Niles, I think we can all work out in the last couple of months, has gone from somebody who seemed to be getting with the program to someone who clearly hasn't got with the program, who, like, he does have abilities and skills, and yet he's basically been off the radar for a couple of months here. So something's not right. He's He hasn't kind of knuckled down. He hasn't become part of the plans. He's not, You know, he, it shouldn't be Cedric who's starting these games at left back. It should have been Maitland-Niles. What the fuck? So... Uh, and it's not a lack of talent with Maitland-Niles. So what is it? Well, I think we know what it is. He's not serious enough about his football in some form or other. And I think Arteta wants a fresh start. So I could go either way. I think I think we could run into a little bit of a challenge by not having cover for Bellerin, who's, depending on whether you think he's a little out of form um, or... He was just in the red zone, so Arteta was resting him a little. But, you know, we got three, two, two starting fullbacks who have injury concerns. And we got Cedric, who can play on either side, but he can't play on both sides at the same time. So, yeah, we could use uh, Gabriel Magliais on the left. We could use Chambers on the right, but we don't want to because it changes how we play. So, I w you know, for a loan fee for Maitland-Niles... I'd keep him if if he was building his profile within the squad and he was becoming a player for us and next season he'd push on, but he's going backwards. And yeah. so I think it's time and I think it's time for him. And Arteta wants, you know, he wants to go from the situation he's just had, which nearly kind of took him down of too many people, too many bad vibes, too many people pissed off. He wants a core team who know they're going to play in this game or the next game, all motivated, all there for the push, uh, wheat from the chaff, all that kind of shit. So it's time with Maitland-Niles. I want him to go off. I want him to discover the cold realities of Premier League football and have to go and make a name for himself somewhere and realize it's not just him and Arsenal that have a little challenge. It's it's him and football and that he really knuckles down and goes for it. He should have just, he should have fancied the battle with Bellerin and he should have gone for Cedric's spot within this squad. It's ridiculous that Cedric starts at left back ahead of Maitland-Niles. And I mean, Cedric has proved he's, he's well up to it and he's doing a great job, but that wasn't clear before Cedric got to play a left back. That should have been Maitland-Niles spot. Yeah. Um, you know, I, look, I, it's funny because I, I tend to take a very particular view of a situation and sometimes get tunnel vision for it. I don't know if anyone's noticed that. <clears throat> no. But, like, I do think it is fair to look at Maitland-Niles. Oh, if we kept him, you know, it's just that we, you know, Tierney has an injury track record. And if something happens to him and Cedric has to play for Bellerin and then you have to use Maitland-Niles and you don't have him, suddenly you're in an emergency. But, like, yes, if you're down to your third choice fullback, 
at, a, at one side or the other, you are in an emergency situation. Would it be better at that point to have Maitland Niles? Sure. How do you balance those equities? Do you keep a young player at the club knowing that most games he won't even make the match day squad just as an emergency solution in case you're down to your third choice left back or right back? I don't I don't think that's fair to the player. I don't think it's smart from an asset protection standpoint. I just don't think it really makes a, a healthy decision in the interest of anybody involved. <clears throat> and I would certainly question, as you pointed out, if the manager clearly doesn't trust the player, you know, you might as well just go with the emergency. So it's how many games is it going to be where you're down to your third choice fullback? This is Arsenal. I shouldn't tempt fate, but you get my point. Um, <clears throat> I think we can sort of wrap it up there, except to say that there is a game tomorrow. And Tim, uh, given that there's a game tomorrow at Wolves, maybe not in the best of form, but certainly a team that can hurt you, a lot of interesting choices to be made by the manager. I think he should rotate. I think some players look tired. Center back is an interesting one. Gabriel's back. Certainly hasn't done anything wrong where he deserves to be dropped. Uh, but the current center back pairing has played well. Cedric certainly deserves to keep a place, but will it be for Bellerin with Tierney back in training? Um, you know, I, I don't think... Martinelli looks like he's going to come back in. I think Saka would probably do it. But does Aubameyang go right back into the team the way Pepe's been playing? Is it in place of Lacazette? So suddenly, you know, and does Smith-Rowe, who you want to be careful with, maybe step out and we get an Odegaard full start here. We got a little mm. a little cameo of, um, for, you know, eight, eight sort of trivial minutes against United. For the first time, it feels like there's real choices for Arteta to make where you're not going, well, which terrible player should we play in this position? It really feels like he's got hard choices to make for players who have made themselves selectable, um, if that's the right way to put it. Yeah, absolutely. And we were saying this, weren't we, about, um, you know, the likes of Pepe and Willian a few weeks ago. You know, we're going to need them, whether we like it or not, whether we want to see them on the team sheet or coming on as subs, that is going to have to happen. And and Pepe certainly keeping up his side of the bargain. I, I'd argue that Willian had a, had a, had a good 45 minutes um, against Manchester United as well. I, I think he played well. Um, so yeah, absolutely. It's it, it's options, and we're going to need that because like the the schedule this year. I know, I know we talk about it, but I'm not sure we fully absorb what it's really like this year. Not only have we had a month shaved off the season, but there's no preseason as well on the back of that. And and really, that's you know, even before all of this, I think there was a very strong question as to whether too much football was being played. Um, and so, you know, in, in this, like particularly this season where it's really squeezed, you, you've, you've just got to, you've just got to. And I know you referenced that earlier in the pod, you know, that usually strong teams are the ones that keep things together the most um, in terms of their starting 11. But it, it, it's just not possible this year. And, no, I agree. and I think and I think in terms of team lineups, you've got to take it over much more of a four or five match um, kind of look at it. So when we look at lineups, you know, we've got to be thinking about that. And 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 the best thing we can really say at the moment is we don't have to rush any of those players back. Like, I'm not as worried. I, I'm still not ready to proclaim Cedric um, the saviour um, as yet, which is maybe to do with my own pride <laughs> as much as anything. Um, but I, like, I, you know, I said earlier in the pod, right, I, I wasn't, 
I think Aubameyang's been overly criticised this year, largely because people are expecting him to do things that he's never done before um, for some reason. Um, I, I think that kind of, it's almost like Theo Walcott syndrome. Once you sign a new contract, people really like expect you to do other things, which, which I suppose is not entirely unfair. But, um, but with like... Yeah, so with 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 this game, I wasn't as worried about playing without Aubameyang because of the way Pepe had played. And I'd say the same this time. I'd say, well, okay, look, if Aubameyang's not quite ready, what a player to have on the bench um, if we need him. Um, and and similar with left back, I'm not as worried. Like after um, Maitland-Niles' performance at left back against Crystal Palace, which I think as I mean, that's that I think I'm right in saying is that the last time he's played for Arsenal, I can't mm. remember if he played any of the cup game. I mean, he literally <laughs> signed his Arsenal death warrant with that performance. And after that, we're thinking, Oh God, how do we ever play without Tierney? But Cedric has come to a point where, where it's like, okay, if we're without Tierney for this game, we can get by. It's okay. Um, it's not, it's not ideal, but it's not as sub optimal as it felt a couple of weeks ago. So I, I'm, I'm quite relaxed um, about the lineup, to be honest. Um, I, I think it's the same at centre-back. I, I haven't been massively flustered about who partner's holding. I wouldn't be massively flustered if, if um, holding came out and was rested for a game. I don't think he will be, but if he was, I wouldn't panic too much about that. The, the only area at the moment I'm, I'm still, I'd still have some worry about is central midfield. Um, I still think we're light on quality there when you take away party um and i don't think Xhaka and sabios is a good mix even if they're not bad players um that that's the only part is the one where i really think oh we we really can't do without him um it was smith Rowe until we brought in erdgaard so i i guess I, i'm quite relaxed um about the lineup and the other thing to take into account just finally is is how many players can you get away with who aren't 100%? That's the other thing. Because sometimes a manager, if they've got a really important player who's at about 90%, 80% fitness, they might think, okay, I, I can get away with that. But if they've got two or three players like that, usually you don't play them all. Um, you think, okay, I've got to pick one. Um, so, for example, I'd be shocked if Tierney and Aubameyang and Saka all start this game. I, I can't see well, that. And I can help you because Tierney has been ruled out. So. Okay, well, there you go. Um, but even if Saka and Aubameyang... Well, I guess Saka was only out for one game and Aubameyang wasn't an injury. So so maybe we might see those two. But I I guess this is a really long rambling way of saying I'm, I'm pretty relaxed about it, which is which is a nice feeling. Yeah, I mean, Saka, Aubameyang, Mari, and Ceballos back in full training, Tierney out. Um, and you do worry. The only thing I'll say is the Tierney thing is stretching on a while now. And it, it it's just the kind of thing when these injuries linger to this extent... There's a part of me that says, is there, is there an underlying issue here? But, you know, I don't, I don't want to leap to the concern trolling about that. I, I just hope that, it's, um, I hope that it's just them being extra cautious with important games coming up and knowing how valuable he is. It will be interesting to see what we do in central midfield because with Ceballos back, um, you know, one of Shaka or Party you would think would be in line to get some rest. I don't think any of us want to see us start a game without Thomas Party, but... You know, there's important games coming up. Maybe this is the one we look at and say we can get away without him. None of them are easy, and I'm not saying this one will be. Uh, I, I think it'll be interesting to see what they do. So, Clive, with that having been said, I, I guess the question now is just a, the, the final question. How do you evaluate this transfer window? Uh, we, we get Odegaard in. 
to help spell Smith Rowe and have a look at him with, you know, maybe an eye towards buying him in the summer. Who knows? We clear a lot out. The Ozil situation is over. Kolasinac, Mustafi, over. Willick loaned out, you know, maybe with an eye towards creating some saleability there in the summer. Same with uh, Maitland-Niles. It's all just starting to shape up to position us in the summer to be able to rebuild this squad from a more healthy standpoint. So how do you feel we've done in a window that was largely about uh, moving players out rather than bringing players in? Yeah, you nailed it there. We've positioned ourselves for a bit of work, less work in the summer on some occasions, and potential squad growth and development and understanding about players' positions, etc. So I think you've done a, you know, Ed has done a fantastic job, but the only thing we don't know is how much it's cost us to do it. Right? We've had to, and some of these we potentially have to pay people off or subsidize some wages, or we, we're not sure of the, the financials. So I still think we are paying for ills of the past on, and keeping people too long and, and tanking their value. Right, so the decisions got to be a lot sharper going forward, and it's a strange how we're we're quite sharp on the kids, and not sharp with the experienced guys with their smart agents that say they're going to sign and they don't sign, and not walking that door for nothing, or with a golden envelope. So we still got some work to do about how we control our contracts and manage our contracts, and really understand the ceiling of people and when they should go, when they should be backfilled. I'm just looking online and I've just seen Brighton. I've just signed a guy called Moses Sayedo. And he's like basically his Pasuma's replacement. They've got him in, four million quid. They're going to play him all through the, um, <laughs> this half of the season, give him some time, and Pasuma will go in the summer. They're already ready to go. You know, we've got to do a lot more of that type of planning rather than scrambling around. But we're scrambling mode right now, and we've done it. And Eddie's done it. And we weren't sure about him. The last two windows have been our best two windows in regard to reshaping this squad. And so the row factor's gone. And so now what we do in the summer is going to be really interesting to see who stays, who goes. Will Louise get a contract? What's going to happen with William? Will we buy into a little bit longer? Will we say, you know what, time for an exit. Odegaard might stay. And that role's gone for you, mate. We're going to we're going to buy somebody younger and wonder why the attacking roles will buy us in the forward because Lacazette's going. So the real rebuild is ahead, but I'm pleased we're going in a direction which is more recognisable. We're not holding these people we can't much longer anyway, so we know the rebuild is coming and we're not shying away from it. So 30,000 foot looking down, it looks quite good. There's a balance sheet there to, to come out and I think we'll see that shortly, how much money that we've wasted in these contracts, but it is what it is. You can't look backwards, only look forwards and, and that's exactly what we're doing. Mm. Yeah, and I think it, it is ultimately, I mean, look, there's there's one more player we could move out, uh, and that would be Willian, and that'd be great. That one's not going to happen. And again, we didn't really mention it much. He was pretty good against United. Tolerable, so credit to him. But we do have Wolves tomorrow. We will have an instant reaction pod after that. Maybe do something live uh, pre-match real quick to just sort of analyze the lineup and get hyped about the game, because we haven't done that in a while, and that would obviously be free for everyone. Uh, but if you would like to sign up for a Patreon, I, I just want to emphasize that I know um, it's been a tricky year for people, and if it doesn't work for you, great. If you do it, um, that's also super appreciated. The point is that we we really do work our asses off to try to make sure this is a great pod, and then also to make sure on the Patreon side we make it feel like value with the scouting videos and the rewatches and the instant reaction and the things that we do there. So hopefully everybody feels they are getting... Uh, if not good content, 
enough content <laughs> because we all know quantity is just as important as quality and, and we strive to live up to that mantra. Again, no talking about shaving privates today. Uh, but as it is February, we will have a new Manscaped thing that you'll be hearing about uh, on a subsequent pod. So delighted to have you here. Uh, and if you want to support us on Patreon, uh, we would we would really be delighted to have you there. And it, it's just tremendously appreciated and allows us to just keep on rolling with all this great Arsenal content. So Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, pause. Woohoo. Yep. Okay. That was with conviction. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Considered. Tim's on, yeah. Tim's on Twitter. Sober up. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Got to get Scott back into the fold too, but the way the fixtures have lined up, it's just been hard to uh, connect on stuff with him, but he's got some stuff planned that we will be doing as well. So uh, we love you. There will be more tomorrow and every day as it feels like right now. Once again, uh, they are trying the the fitness of the players as well as the, uh, the podcasters. So we'll see how that goes. We love you and we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10, Wolves nil. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.